Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. Today on the podcast, Pastor Lance Hanna and I are going to talk about faith and doubt. How do we work through our questions and doubts as believers? How can leaders model how to do this in a healthy way? We know that faith and doubt is something that pretty much all believers think about a lot of the time, and we want to help give you some tools to navigate uh, your thoughts and your questions well. All of that on this episode of Engaging Culture. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Engaging Culture podcast. Merry Christmas, if you're listening to this within a week of when it comes out. If it's been more than a week, hope you had a great Christmas or that you're doing well whatever time of year it is. Happy uh, New Year! That's right. Happy New Year. Uh, I am Brian Kiley, joined by the Christmas-loving pastor himself, Lance Hahn. That would be me. Yes. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yes. I'm a bit of a Grinch. Yeah. Lance uh, carries the, actually, the incredible title of being the uh, Grinch slash Pastor, you yes. don't you don't see that combination a lot. The, <laughs> the pastor who's really not that into Christmas. <laughs> no, no, I tell people I love the Jesus part. Just the rest of it's a. Uh, you just, okay, we're just gonna say if you want to get pumped up for Christmas, and by the way, uh, my household is pumped up for Christmas. <laughs> Uh, just not me. Let's you wouldn't you don't want to come talk to me. I'm not exactly Mr. Christmas. Okay, we'll just say it that so way. if you need yes. Christmas excitement from a right. Han, no, go yes. to any of your girls or your wife, Absolutely. but not you, not me. You can even go Got to it. my dog. Yes, Bella, but Bella don't go has, to me. Is just overflowing with Christmas cheer. Oh, for as long as there's food in it. Yep. Then, then she's good. She's okay. Good. Well, glad we got that out of the way. So we're talking today about faith and doubt, and the inspiration for this article came from a a little sidebar or <laughs> article. The inspiration for this podcast came from a little sidebar article in Christianity Today in October of 2019, where a question was posed: Should Christian leaders preach their doubts from? social media pulpits. In other words, should Christian leaders use their social media platform to kind of work through doubts in a public way? And what led to this question was the fact that over the summer, we had a couple of high profile situations where Christian leaders, one being Joshua Harris, a former pastor and author, and then one being Marty Sampson, a uh, songwriter for Hillsong, both sort of came out and said they were no longer Believers, They had, in their words, sort of deconstructed their faith and were not in, in any sort of meaningful sense Christians anymore. And this, of course, now part of the challenge of living your life in the public eye is, of course, they're going through these deeply personal things and now everyone and their mom has an opinion about it right, and right. feels the need to, to share their opinion about it. But whatever our opinion might be about those two individuals specifically, they raise a lot of really good questions yeah. about how do leaders uh, conduct themselves online and, and in person and how do they? How, how, what is a healthy way for them to process their their doubts? What were some of the thoughts that came to mind for you, Lance, as you were first looking over this? Well, I, I just want to highlight out the fact that that at Bridgeway here, authenticity and transparency is a huge deal to me, uh, and a huge deal to our staff. Yeah. We actually breathe that through the culture in this place. So the idea that someone would share something honest, I'm always drawn to honesty. I love that idea. Now. Was it done in the right way? Was it done through the right venues? I think yeah. those are questions that we can have. Right off the bat, when I when I heard that, I once again, I'm drawn to honesty, yeah. but I also am drawn to responsibility. 
And responsibility is that I don't get to just have my own opinions because I have a platform. Right. Whenever you have a platform, you're sharing this stuff with other people. And so I'm, I'm never for hiding it. Yeah. But I think that there is appropriate ways and inappropriate ways. So, I mean, that that was the first thing that kind of kind of hit me. What about you? Yeah, no, and I, and I think you're absolutely right about that. That there is, and, and I think in in this day and age, all of us have more of a platform than a than the common person, so to speak, would have had in a pre-social media time. Right. But if you're a public figure in any sense, if you're a pastor, if you're a leader, if you, I mean, if you're a leader in the secular world, your opinions carry additional weight. Whether yes. you like it or not. That's right. And with that additional weight, you know, to channel Spider-Man here, with great power comes great responsibility. Amen. Right? That, that, well, whereas a person who maybe does not have wide influence can maybe uh, share questions and struggles and, and different things they're going through and thinking, they can share sort of unfiltered thoughts online and it's not really going to hurt anybody or it's not going to have uh, too much of an effect. If a leader does that, they have to understand that can be radically disorienting for a lot of a lot of people. So, so that's where leaders in particular need to be careful. And it's not, I mean, like you said, authenticity and transparency are high values here. There are things I, hi- yep. I highly value myself, but you can be authentic and trans- transparent in a way that's responsible, or yes. you can do it in a way uh, that is that is irresponsible. Yeah. So then, uh, I kind of, I guess, my next question is, and and you can speak to this personally, or you can maybe more theoretically. Uh, how do leaders demonstrate sort of the normal ups and downs that that are part of a life of faith? Yeah. I, I so here's the big challenge. The big challenge is when you are on the spotlight. How do you live normal lives? Because real Christianity is ups and downs. Real Christianity is seasons, seasons where you're pumped up for the Lord and seasons where you feel really dry. And you and I, I mean, we've been in ministry for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, not just together, but but apart. But, yeah. And and the idea of saying really through all that time, everything was consistent for me, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no. You had times when you're going up and down. How do you portray that out? So- what I have tried to do is make sure that that people understand the why behind what I'm asking, what I'm processing through, is you don't just um, drop bombshells, right? So right. for me, the idea of a bombshell is that there was no warning. Yeah. Let's say, for example, you were known as a leader out there on social media that's a bit more of a philosopher. You're a bit more of a feeler. You just always process your feelings. Yeah. And you were like, I have ups and downs and I'm talking about it all the time. Those are not bombshells. You've already prepped your audience for the idea that you go through seasons. But when someone is really hardcore and they're very dogmatic and they're preaching really strong and then the next thing you hear is they're out. Right. That's that unnerving. I don't even know how to follow along with you. Like you jumped off a cliff. And, and there's nothing that's connecting the two. Right. So I feel super lost. Right. So when, I think that when we process, first of all, if you're going to process authentically, you have to give people bridges from the different areas that you're going to. So, for example, if you go, man, I'm really struggling right now. You can say that earlier when it's not a danger place. Yeah. And then you get the idea of people saying this is actually very hard for me. Um, however, I do believe that there is a massive responsibility of leaders to know that we have to do the work. We have to do the due diligence. We have to do the hard stuff in the quiet place to make sure that we're not doing these jerky movements. Hmm. 
which means we have a consistent time. There should never be a time when you go, I'm all in for the Lord and I'm all out in a very short amount of time because that means you didn't do your due diligence. Right. That means something is emotional, something's tied to a circumstance, something's yeah. tied to a limited season, and you're reacting off of it. I don't think that merely giving radical reactions yeah. on social media is ever a really good idea. <laughs> really? You don't, yeah. you don't say. Just You saying. mean just like totally unfiltered thoughts online are probably not, like, so you're not recommending that. <laughs> no, no. The stream of conscious ramblings that yes. uh, we all have in our heads probably shouldn't go out. Yeah, no. no and I and I think you're absolutely right about that. That that leaders, especially, but I, th- I think all of us have some responsibility to work through and to process our our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, so that what we're presenting out into the world is not sort of this raw, right, not helpful, just kind of vomit out into the world. I mean, I, you think of it this way: if if uh, you're going to go to a re- if if you're going to go eat at a restaurant. Uh, you don't want them just bringing out a bunch of random ingredients, some nice pink chicken right. and everything else. Like you want them to serve you a meal, right? right. It is their responsibility in the kitchen to work through, to, to cook the meal, to get the ingredients ready to go, to bring it out and to place it on your table. Now, they're not hiding anything back there. Right. They're just working through the process in an appropriate environment. And I think that's part of why as leaders, it's important that you have people close to you who you can sort of cook the meal with, so to speak. You can work through your questions and your challenges. You can be honest about areas yes. of struggle. You can process, I love what you said, you can process before something becomes a crisis. Right. Because uh, if you just hide and hide and hide, then- it becomes a crisis. Yeah. And then what you can do is you can present your meal to those who might be paying attention. And that can be a meal that is just, that is nourishing and, and helpful and enjoyable. Uh, and my analogy is starting to break down a little bit, but you get what I'm trying to yeah. say. I think that that's the important element. And then also for, for leaders to recognize, uh, like I said a moment ago, the opinions have have influence, whether you like yes. it or not. So just to say, okay, what do I have to share that will be helpful? Yes, uh, there there are plenty of things that you and I could share in a church service that would be true, but would not necessarily be helpful in that environment. Right. So so to have some boundaries around that is not a lack of authenticity. It's the maturity to understand the environment and what's helpful. What can a weekend church audience be expected to, to handle yes. what, what is appropriate for that environment. Yeah. And that's where I think leaders need to show some wisdom. For sure. I think that too many people think that there's either plastic living a lie or there's raw unfiltered. In my opinion, there's a big middle ground yeah. between raw and unfiltered and only sharing completed thoughts or fake thoughts. Right. I think that's even further. Totally. I think that the, the, in the middle, you can talk about, I can share questions, I can share processing, I can share all that stuff. It doesn't have to be one or the other. The The Bible tells us that we are to do things that build one another up. Yeah. It never says, and do things that tear each other down. Yeah. And so... As much as you are being honest and as much as you are being truthful to what's going on with you, if it is tearing someone else down, we have now stepped away from usefulness mm-hmm. 
and you as a leader are held to a higher standard. You don't just get to barf out whatever you want to say. Right, right. You actually have to process through and you go, well, I'm just being honest. No, you're being immature. Yeah. That's what you're being. Yeah. So we need to have a little bit more uh, filter, I yeah. think, I think on us. Now, now for I don't know either one of those particular men that the, the article mentioned. I do not know yeah. them personally. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Harris and uh, Marty Sampson. And I don't know if ultimately they also had an upsurge by the time this article was was printed. I don't know if they've had an upsurge where they go, you know what? I, I've had new life breathe, breathe into my spirit. Okay. But regardless of all that, I, I would say that it uh, it's okay for them to go through a normal Christian process. Yeah. Uh, there's not this idea of how dare you doubt, how dare you question, how dare you... No, 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 no. No, all that is right. What we're talking about is how much is appropriate in what in what arena, yeah. in what environment, and for the masses, yeah. and for your friends and social media. Your audience dictates everything right. on what you should or should not do. Right. So, so we have... So on that note, we have a lot of leaders who listen to our podcast, who we right. interact with, people who lead here at Bridgeway and lead in different different contexts. What are some general principles that leaders can utilize to to model healthy processing of doubts and questions and the ups and downs of faith? I think I think first of all is using things as they're intended. So for example, there are things that we need to go to God first with, right? There are things that friends or friendships are designed to handle. There are things that intimate partners are designed to handle, like a spouse. There are things that parents are designed to handle. I think that the first job about processing is making sure you're 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 making the right comments or questions in the right baskets, right? Hmm, yeah. You know, not it's not one size fits all. Everybody needs to deal with this. Right. So, for example, let me let me give you an example on that. Let's say that you are struggling with, uh, let's say you're a young single leader and you're struggling with attraction towards someone in your ministry, mm-hmm. right? That one person doesn't need to be your processor. <laughs> Do you right. understand what I mean? Like that's yeah. not appropriate to put in their basket. Right. You don't. You don't just process while well, I'm struggling with lust towards you. Like that's not a thing. <laughs> like you, no, no, no. How about you go find a friend and maybe not post about that on social media. Maybe not either. post on social media. It, it, maybe you need to go into a more appropriate environment. So the first thing is making sure as you're processing your life that you are using the different groupings appropriately. Yeah. Right. Yeah, what they were built and designed to handle. Um, another thing I think that as as we process this stuff through is take it to the Lord first. Hmm, um, I don't I don't think that many of us have fostered a healthy enough prayer life by which we feel that we can process items with God. If our prayer life has never matured beyond the I have a grocery list of problems, yeah. I throw it up to God and then I go on my day. Yeah. I don't think that that's going to feel like an open opportunity. Mm-hmm. If you fostered a relationship with God to where you process and you go, God, this is a serious problem for me. Right. I don't have any solutions. I'm asking you for insight, and I'm just talking through this stuff. Yeah. Um, where God almost steps into that counseling role, that yeah. comforting role. If you don't have that in your spiritual life, right. you're probably not going to think that that's something you can do. 
Yeah. So I, yeah, I think we should. I think we should develop that. Yeah, that's not without that. You're not going to be able to refine your thinking to the point right. where it is really influenced by the spirit and is not just sort of you know your own yes. ramblings about whatever. Which again, when you're in a position of leadership and influence, is is not helpful. Uh, another thing is uh, following proper protocol of chain of command of communication. And here's what I mean. Uh, here at Bridgeway, if we have anything that's very very important. Usually it starts by it kind of gets raised in our senior leadership team. You are a part of that. Miss Heidi's a part of that. Um, we have some other pastors and leaders that are a part of that, right? Yeah. Um, we usually talk about it in there and we process it through. We then usually take it to the elders. Yeah. The elders then process. They're the first people that get notified of something that's really, really important. Right. Then we take it to our staff. Our staff needs to be notified because if people are asking questions, they're going to go back to our staff and they need to have that information. Yeah. The next chain of that command is our ministry team leaders and our small group leaders that yeah. we call missional communities here at Bridgeway. Uh, that little gaffe on something I said last weekend <laughs> wrong in the sermon. Anyway, um, then we go to the congregation. Why? Because if you end up sharing something of high importance to the congregation first, they're going to go back through their channels of communication to seek clarity. Yeah. If they're all learning at the same time, they don't they don't have time to process ahead. So in all of our lives, you go, well, I don't have anything that massive. I think you have something. Yeah. I think that there's times to share appropriate things and go through your channel because yeah. along the way people help you filter yeah. and they help you understand a little bit more because sometimes when we come out and we're so raw, we end up sharing not just our particular problem, but we end up kind of lacing problems around it. Huh. Not aware of that. Yeah. Right. So it's unintended vomit. Yeah. I think it's what we're talking <laughs> unintended about. Unintended vomit. Delightful. Well, and I think we've all, any of us who have spent any time on social media, we have people we're connected to who they will share things and you can just tell, like, I'll bet they didn't really think yes. that through. Now, I've had times where I've thought thought something through, posted it, and it still turned out to be stupid. Yes. So that's not a that's not a uh, you know that, that's not a fail safe thing. But I but I think you can just tell when we're utilizing social media or utilizing a platform inappropriately, or we're just man not thinking about the implications of what it is we're sharing, not thinking through the appropriateness of what it is that we're sharing. And the challenge, of course, is when we get emotional, when we feel vulnerable, when we when we feel threatened, when we get angry, sort of our, our uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Our just sort of kind of defense mechanisms or our yes. standards, I guess, uh, dr our inhibitions drop a little bit. Yep. And we share things that we're going to be embarrassed about later. Yes. And, and that's a problem. And again, especially when you're a leader in in an age where uh, you put something up on the internet for four seconds, someone takes a screenshot of it, yep. and and it lives forever, right? Right. And and that's the sort of burden that I, that really a lot of us carry, and we have to recognize that that is there. There's a consequence that comes with the accessibility and the ability to share things publicly that we do, and if we don't handle that well, it can really. It can really hurt people. This, you know, this isn't really about social media. Obviously, this particular podcast episode, mm -hmm. but I, I think one of the things that's really throwing us off is that we get to write it in quiet, in silence, and alone. And when you do that, you feel you don't realize that it is akin to 
going on a national broadcast, dressing up for it, the cameras turn on, would you say the same things? Yeah. Because we think that, I, well, I'm hidden here. I'm, uh, it's just me, and I'm just sharing me. Yeah. And you go, but it has the power of a megaphone. It has the power to go into all these other people's houses. Um, when I, we were talking a little bit about audience, that we have a lot of different people in our audience that are different places in their faith. Mm-hmm. If, if you say, well, I want to share my doubts because I'm being authentic, mm-hmm. but there's someone else that is a brand new believer. Mm-hmm. And they're reading your posts, and they're trying to make that determination, should I continue to pursue the Lord or not? And their role model says, I'm out. Yeah. Or their role model says, it's not worth it. Yeah. That you just hijack their process. Because what you're trying to say in your mind is, I'm just being me going through my process. You go, but your process is affecting my process. Yeah. So now... It's not just about you. Yeah. It's about me as well. And I think that we need to be very careful. Paul the Apostle was super intense about the reputation of the church. Yeah. He talked a lot about how we are to operate as ambassadors for the kingdom and how we are living examples. And so when we start going public with things, I, I just think that biblically, Paul would have some serious problems with us just dumping randomly. Oh, big time. And, and I think something that was highlighted in the Christianity Today article, a, a thought shared by by Barnabas Piper, uh, son of John Piper, and, and Barnabas himself has written, written a few books, is he talked about this idea. He said that the danger lies in proselytizing people away from Christianity, seeking followers in unbelief, and in swaying the weaker or less mature believers into unbelieving doubt. And, and yeah. that's just where I think that as a as a leader and lots of us lead in different contexts you need to the the larger your platform is or the larger your audience is at any given time the more careful you need to be with what you say because right. it is more open to interpret more open to misinterpretation yes. there is limited uh, opportunity for clarification right like if i'm having a personal conversation with you i can maybe say something and I can really make sure I can watch your body language. Yes. I can watch your response. Okay, is he understanding what I'm saying? You can ask a clarifying question back to me. Whereas there is a little bit of that online, but not much. There's none of that in a say a weekend service. Right. But so 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 something that might be appropriate to say, hey, somebody's maybe wrestling with doubt, and you talk through, man, I've I've asked those same questions, and here's how I've processed it, and here are some resources, and it's okay that you're, and just because you're struggling in this one area, you don't need to you don't need to throw Jesus out with kind of this 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 area of struggle. You can talk in a in a manner that's a little bit more frank in a smaller environment yes. where there is that opportunity for there's more controls exactly, but on but online or or. Or, or in a large room, there just isn't that opportunity. And that's where if we're irresponsible in the name of authenticity, it does a lot more harm than good. Totally. Um, I'll just, I, would, I just wrote down this line here. Intention isn't always transferred. You have an yes. intention because oh, you, you have this idea and you go, but this is what I meant. Yeah. No, no, no. I appreciate that's what you meant. Do not assume your intention transfers because it's going into an environment where there's other biases and distractions, and they may well receive it in a very, very different way than you intended it, right? Um, (laughs) It's part of preaching that just terrifies me, Oh, but go on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I do want to just mention real quickly about how we deal with doubt. I think that faith, by its design involves ownership and what that means is you have to systematically throughout your christian life 
Um, and, and we've talked about this on an early podcast. Uh, one pastor used the phrase that we need to continue to rebelieve. Hmm. Yeah. That every day we are rebelieving and retrusting yeah. and saying, I don't yet have this answer, but I'm leaning it this way. And so the idea of ownership means that you have to go through processes of doubt. You have to go through processes of questioning. You have to go through processes where you would say, I don't think I can do this anymore because we're pressing in so much to own it without yet having all of it laid out for us, which means it's a it's a walk of faith. Yeah. So I, I just want to encourage, there. in no way are you going to hear uh, Pastor Brian and I encourage you to just stuff things sure. and, and, and not ask questions. I think that there's a big difference between between just simply having questions about a part of Christianity and making large statements of I'm done now. Yeah. Like there's I'm no longer a Christian. Yeah. Uh, to me, I don't understand that leap. Right. Uh, so for me, I'm not a Christian because of a set of principles or uh, I was more convinced this way. Uh, I'm a Christian because it makes sense of my reality. For me yeah. to just say I'm out now, Mm-hmm. would be an unraveling of my reality right. that I don't know how that could happen. Now, I can say I'm out. I don't want to play the public Christian game anymore. Uh-huh. I can say I want to sin more than I want to be righteous. Mm-hmm. I can say I am now opting out of a leadership position, and I feel like I don't want to be responsible for anybody anymore. Uh-huh. There's a million things I may say if I go off my own deep end, Yeah, but they're not, I don't know how to then say, I don't believe that there is a God or any meaning. Right. Like that's such an unraveling in so many different layers. Right. I'm not sure how I would get there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Totally. And, 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 these different public figures or, or others who go through the same process, I, I think it is an unraveling. And, and I think it speaks to the, and, I, and again, I don't, I don't say this to criticize anybody specifically because I don't know what they went through. Maybe they did exactly right. what I'm prescribing. But I, but I think the idea to, to process through and think through your questions and doubts along the way is just so critical. And, and when we don't do that, that's when kind of, you know, the pressure builds and eventually the dam breaks. And now everything becomes unraveled very rapidly yes. because we haven't talk through things. Now, uh, one sort of model that I, that I have found helpful that I've only just sort of come across in different environments in the last few years, I'd be curious to maybe hear your, your thoughts on it, or, or and maybe this might be helpful to some of our, our listeners, is that, that I've heard it described that there are sort of three, if you can imagine a journey of faith in three different boxes. So box one is construction. You're just starting to build your faith. You're understanding what is Christianity? What do I believe? Uh, how do I make sense of the world through a Christian worldview? So so that's box one. That is the beginnings of faith, either as a child or as a new believer or whatever the case may be. That box two is deconstruction. That there are times where you go through your life and you realize, gosh, things I believed in the past, I'm not sure about those things yes. anymore. I'm doubting them. I'm questioning them. I don't know. Maybe some things I was taught in my childhood, I'm just not so sure yes. about. I mean, even you, you talked a little bit this last weekend in our services about yes. and just kind of religious baggage and things you yes. have to things you have to get rid of and then uh, box three is reconstruction yes so construction deconstruction reconstruction and that's where you're actually building something helpful and you're building sort of a robust faith that t- 
takes your questions seriously, that takes account of how you've experienced the world, that takes account of what you've understood from scripture. And to speak in very broad categories, sort of the the caricature is that uh, very, very kind of conservative Christians, and these are, I'm using these terms, but they're not political. I mean, more sort of rigid thinking Christians uh, are stuck in box one and are afraid to go into box two. Right. Right. More liberal or progressive Christians. And again, not a, that's a theological term, not a political one. Uh, get out of box one, but then just want to live in box two. They right. just want to deconstruct everything yes. and not make any sort of positive affirmation of anything. Whereas a healthy Christianity builds a solid box one is not afraid to go through box two, yes. but then lives in box three. Amen. So, and I'll tell you what's just funny as a parent. And again, I wasn't raised, I wasn't raised in a Christian household. So I, so I, you know, I sort of in my head, I'm like, well, I'm figuring out how to raise, you know, Christian kids. I remember going a few years ago and my kids were in preschool going there. They went to a Christian preschool that was just wonderful. I, I loved it. It was, it was a wonderful school, great experience for my, my kids and my family. I remember going to chapel one day and they're singing some song or they're, the, 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 teachers up there talking about, you know, whatever it was. I don't remember what she was talking about, but the thought I just had in my mind was, okay, it's box one. We'll, we'll deconstruct that someday. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure that's totally accurate, yep. but you know what? For a four-year-old, sure. Yes. And, and so I just, I think, and I think just to recognize, okay, there's things that are appropriate in box that's one. Right. In your public speaking, in public platform, I think you need to focus more on box one. You can help people through box two on a case-by-case basis. Yes. Um, and then also focus, then I think you as you process that, you can also be more public about box three, reflecting on your deconstructing experience. Yeah. So, um, first of all, I think those are awesome. I was just taking notes while you're talking. Um, I am a bit of a deconstructionist, um, because I tend to blow things up and say, uh, things that, that, that rattle people's cages and break down things in order to try to reconstruct them. Right. So I talk about me being a, an agitating peacemaker. Sure. Um, I take somebody's construction, I deconstruct it and then I reconstruct it. Yeah. But my goal is to reconstruct it into something healthy in the same setting. Um, there are amazing, uh, teaching methods that they only do deconstruction where they, they leave their people. It's almost like kind of that old, uh, old school kind of rabbi concept where you just kind of leave an open-ended question and then just let them soak in it. Yeah, uh, That's very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> I'm way too much of an analytical thinker to just leave it there. But I am willing to go into the deconstruction publicly in order to lead to the reconstruction. Reconstruction is always right. my intention Yeah, um, that I want to get over there. Because um, like you said, so many people just live in the construction and they say... Um, uh, Jesus loved me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yeah. And you go, okay, great. And they go, I just want to live there. Yeah. When you start seeing um, uh, things where, let's say somebody told you, um, you read a little baby book and it says, God will always protect you. And that was what the little one needed to hear. Yeah. Uh, you constructed that. God will always protect you. And then something bad happens in your life. And you go, he didn't protect me from that. All of a sudden you hit this rat, just brutal deconstruction that went, that was wrong. And so you go, either God doesn't doesn't exist, God doesn't care about me. And you start going through these really far ranging emotions and, and making statements, large statements about God. Yeah. That goes into that deconstruction box. Yeah. At some point you have to say, what did I get wrong? 
Yeah. What was I believing that was not appropriate? Yeah. And how do I reconstruct my faith with my new information? Right. That, I think, is what the Christian life is. That is that process of ownership that I was talking about before. Yeah. And I think all that is super, super important. Yeah. Well, and I think when we're when we're afraid of 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 doing healthy deconstruction, right? Yeah, I think we're more at risk for unhealthy deconstruction. Oh, I agree. When and it's and and that's not to say that we don't. I mean, we obviously we have convictions that we're like, I'm not deconstructing. Do I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Like that's right. fundamental to what we believe as Christians, right? Mm-hmm. But when we're when we're afraid of even deconstructing or questioning secondary issues or other things, is it, it just builds tension, right? And here here's the thing: if deconstruction is done is done in a healthy way you might reconstruct exactly what you just deconstructed. You just now have more wisdom and understanding. Right. So, so I don't think it's something we need to be afraid of. And now the flip side of that, of course, is that you don't just, there's, I, to me, there is nothing noble about simply wanting to deconstruct for deconstruction's yep. sake. Nope. There has to be another goal to it. Otherwise, you're just destroying things. You're just destroying Which stuff. is not, not It's not acceptable. I've been walking through this process with my oldest daughter who's in college for her first year uh-huh. and she's just getting bombarded with new thoughts and ideas yeah and so she's going through this deconstruction process uh-huh. to reconstruct yeah and um, she's loving it by the way uh-huh. absolutely loves that That's but great. it makes her nervous <laughs> right and so I was talking to her the other day we were hanging out at coffee and I was talking to her I said this is how everybody has to own their faith I yeah. said I go I remember the first time that if anybody ever gets a chance to go into a Bible interpretation class or something uh-huh. like that, and you learn that we have no original autographs of the Bible, uh-huh. and you go, I'm sorry, what did you just say? Yeah. And you go, yeah, we don't have any of the originals. And all of a sudden, there's a there's a feeling in your stomach that drops out, yeah. and it goes, are you telling me, wait, I thought we had all that stuff. And then you go, oh, no, that's starting to deconstruct, that I don't have the Bible the way I thought I had the Bible. And then all of a sudden it gets reconstructed when you go, well, how did we get our Bible then? And you go, oh, we have thousands of portions. Yeah. And you cross-check portions, and when you keep doing that over thousands and thousands and thousands of times, and you have all these different fragments to work with, you can cross-check for accuracy so that we can know that what we have today is legitimate. Right. And all of a sudden there's a calm. Right. So you went through this process of, well, I was constructed because I, uh, you know, I was told these people wrote, wrote the Bible right. and that we now have it. Yeah. But then you deconstruct it and go, well, we don't have the originals. Yeah. And then you go, well, now I reconstruct it because now we have enough evidence yeah. to recreate the originals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. then there's peace again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think one thing we can do as as leaders, and, and I try to I try to do this in my in my personal life and in just different conversations with people, is is to help create space where it's safe to deconstruct yep. without risking being labeled a heretic. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I joke uh, about sort of part of your job as a pastor is to be able to just hear things and not react. <laughs> right. right. <That's> so true. <laughs> and 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 I think in so many different places in my life, I, I can tell people will talk to me about things and they're, they're nervous or they're expecting that I'm going to react or freak out on them right. or, you know, whatever. And I just try, I mean, even I was speaking to our, our young adults at, at Bridgeway Young Adults this last Thursday, just trying to help them understand, like, you can ask questions and you're not going to freak me out. You can, I'm happy to help you process things and you're not going to freak me out because I think that's, that's healthy. That's part of a life of faith is to, to walk through these yes. things. And when, 
when questions and doubts are shamed, they get stuffed, yep. as, as we've alluded to a couple times in the, in the episode. Now, and again, that's, that's not to say we create an environment where it's all about deconstruction. It's an environment where you can have guides who have been through the process help you walk yes. through that process yourself. Uh, and I think that's, that is part of our responsibility as leaders and any other leaders who are listening, as I think that's where your own journey of deconstruction and reconstruction can be a blessing for somebody else, especially somebody who is sort of behind you in faith, especially for your children. I mean, I think the example you gave with your daughters is an excellent one. Uh, so, so it's important that we create that environment because, I mean, you, t- you hear from people all the time. I hear from people all the time who have come out of environments where super rigid, no questions allowed, yeah. no explanations yeah, given to questions. And and you're right, it is it is absolutely unhealthy. So so my next question then is what what sort of advice or what principles would you give to a person thinking through their life in maybe a non-leader capacity? Uh how do they process their doubts in a in a healthy way? Yeah, I think well, first of all, I think that there is a matter of reflection. I don't think that we should be reactive yeah. um, towards things. So I would give time for meditation and reflection. And I, I don't mean meditation in Eastern sense. I mean meditation in a thoughtfulness sure. way where the idea is that you go, listen, I'm not just going to to react to what I'm thinking right now. Why am I thinking this? What's going on? What's behind it? So I, I think that, once again, am I doubting because of a scenario? Am I doubting because of a process? Yeah. Am I doubting because somebody said something to me? Yeah. Right? So so understanding a little bit of the context uh, in, in which you're struggling, I yeah. think, is really, really important. Yeah. I think the other thing, it, this is why we are so in need of community. I, I don't think that it is great to only stay doubting and struggling on your own. I think that you have to find someone that is safe, somebody that is wise. Yeah. And you go, well, I don't really have those. Well, you actually have to, you know, uh, throughout our lives, we have to build our support system. You don't just get it. Now, especially those of us that grow up in environments like suburbs um, where everybody moves away yeah. and we lose, uh, you know, it's one thing if you have multi-generations in one house, yeah. that used to be a thing. And in many cultures, it still is yeah. where you have built in help. Right. But we actually have to construct ours yeah. and say, uh, I need this type of person in my life. I need this type of person in my life. I need somebody that I can pour into. I need somebody that can pour into me. Right. I need somebody that is safe and trustworthy. I need somebody that is wise and good. I need somebody, right? Yeah. And so we are building our own support network. Right. And so part of processing in our doubts and everything is to go to that person that is the safe, wise sage in your life yeah. and be able to say, man, this is what I'm going through. What do you think? Yeah. What do you, you know, it was interesting because one more piece on that thing with my daughter is that when she was nervous, she would look at my face and I was totally peaceful. Uh-huh. So she knew that whatever question she was going to bring up, it didn't rattle me. If it didn't rattle me, at some point, it's going to be okay. Right. So she, so she could kind of assess. Wait, no matter where this pathway leads me, I'm going to come out on the other side. Yeah. Because Dad or my mentor, yeah. as I was fulfilling that role in that moment, right, that he's already thought through this, and there is a peacefulness on the other side. Okay. So we need those people. Yeah. In our lives, we also need people that are simply intercessors, right? Mm, yeah. That you go listen. They're not going to help you figure the whole thing out. 
but they sure have your back. They're going to be praying for you. They're going to be, you know, yeah. constantly checking in with you. And, you know, you just go, man, I'm really, really wrestling with doubts all over the place right now. And you share that with a praying friend. That praying friend can go, listen, I have no idea what you're going through, but I do know you need a backup. And they would fight for you. Yeah. I, I think that is also a critical piece. So once again, I think that there are proper ways to do this. Yeah. So uh, anyway, yeah. I, I was about to say the same thing again. <laughs> well, it was great the first time. Thank you very much. Well, and, and I, th- I think a couple things I would I would add to that is that I, I think to to take the time to explore what is behind your your doubts yeah. and your questions. Is it is it genuine curiosity? Then I think there's a lot you can do with that. There's yes. a, you can you can work with that in a lot of different ways. There are people you can talk to, yep. books you can read, right. this, this, that, and the other, this, that, and the other. There's there's a lot you can do there. Um, I, I think a key part of wrestling with questions and, and doubts in a healthy way is making sure that uh, we don't slip into shame. Yes. Because I think what can happen yep. is is if we feel shamed because of our questions and our doubts, we just want to get rid of the shame. Yes. And that's where it, I've just seen this happen where it's like, okay, well, forget it. I'm out. Yep. You know? Um, and that can obviously be be pretty unhealthy, be well, extremely unhealthy. Extremely unhealthy. Uh, and and so so we need to recognize, and and again, it's incumbent upon us on leader uh, as leaders to create environments where there is no shame for those who are are, are, are dealing with questions. I think also when we have our our doubts, uh, I said a minute ago, what's behind the doubt? Is it an emotional thing? Yes. Is it uh, I feel like I'm I'm feeling restricted and I just want to sort of spread my wings or you know whatever the case may be? Is there something temporary behind whatever it is I'm feeling? And then also there's the question of, is what I are my questions and doubts are they about uh, apologetics issues? Right, right. Or are they about kind of preference issues? Yes. Because something I. I that I, I, I believe to be true is that Christianity is a pretty wide tent. So if your issue is a preference issue, you don't need to abandon your faith because the church you go to has a different preference than you do. Right, right. You don't need to abandon your faith because your parents had a similar, uh, have a different preference than you do. I remember having a this, this situation, it, it broke my heart. I remember this is not all that long after I graduated high school. I was getting together with a friend who actually had been like pretty instrumental in me coming to faith when I was in high school. Well, he went off, joined the military, kind of lived his life for a while and over the course of time ended up sort of walking away from his faith. And his parents were good people, but super rigid, uh, just a very kind of I don't know, hyper box one yes. view of view of faith and just a view of the way the world worked. And I just remember sitting with him, you know, we're, we're just together one night, just hanging out and I'm just trying to help him process some of this. And I just said, bro, I think your parents are kind of whacked too. <laughs> and I'm still here. Cause his whole thing was, well, my parents believe this and they can't give me evidence for that. Yep. And da, 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 da. I'm like, yeah, I don't think there is evidence for that, <laughs> but I'm still here, man. Yes. And like, I wish I could tell you that that like helped turn the light on for him. It, it didn't. No. But, but I think that there's an issue of when we start to say, okay, what are you rejecting? Are you rejecting Christianity as a whole or are you rejecting a very narrow version of it that a lot of us who are Christians would reject as well? <laughs> or not right. wholeheartedly reject, but say, you know what? Yeah, there's some, there's some unhealth there. And then when it is a genuine apologetics issue about uh, can I trust the Bible? Is Jesus really the son of God? You know, evidence for creation and things of that nature. Like there are resources you can, you yes, can go to. There are people you can go to. There are books you can read. I mean, I, I like, you know, what you were saying 
about about you and your daughter, I, I have this memory of just going through seminary. And, you know, I, I joke that and, and you would you would get this joke as well, that like you don't go to seminary to get all your questions answered. You go to seminary to like be told about questions you'd never even thought of. Right? Exactly. But but I loved engaging with my professors knowing that, okay, these are men and women who have asked all of these questions and have emerged on the other side. Like that was profoundly comforting for me and profoundly freeing for me as I think early in my Christian life, I was kind of stuck in box one and was afraid of box two. Helped me realize I can can tiptoe into box two with some wise guides that will help me through the process, which is a big deal I think that's super important. Um, I want to encourage uh, those of you that may be struggling that there is a value to faithfulness. And what I mean by that is pressing through seasons of doubt, because here's the other thing. You assume that if you doubt now, you're always going to doubt. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that gets rectified. Sometimes that season passes yep. and you go, wow, I came out the other side and I feel I feel really good about this. Yeah. But if you just cave and give up and go public while you're in process, that doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Um, you may want to get a little quieter if you're not feeling as strong about it. Okay, great. You can start going a little bit quieter and go into um, uh, more reflective mode, right? You don't yeah. always have to share everything online. Um, he- here's the other couple things I wanted to say. I know we're going to be landing this plane real fast here, but um, how much transparency is too much? And yeah. I would tell you it's whatever your audience can sustain. Yeah. And what I mean by that is there are certain things that I have revealed to my doctor behind closed doors <laughs> that he can sustain, yeah, right? and I don't believe many other people can. So once that again, rash does not need to be seen by anybody it does, else. It does not. <laughs> so for me, it's this idea of I can be as transparent, and I need to be as transparent as my audience. Because once again, if you hide things from your doctor even because you're saying, I don't want to be transparent, right. that becomes foolishness. Right. So there's certain things different audiences can sustain. Right. I believe that we should be as transparent as we can that will be sustained. Right. The other rule that I would say for Christian leaders is that as we are going out and seeking to build up the church, we need to be the best honest versions of ourselves, which means you allow those as guardrails, Mm -hmm. the best version of yourself, but yet the honest version of yourself and allow those to be those um, guiding principles that kind of, well, what should I share? How should I share it? What am I really doing this for? Is this merely just me thinking out loud? Is this helpful to other people? Right. Those principles will guide you. Right. Yeah. You can't obviously cannot be fake. Uh, uh, so, no. so yeah, if, if it's just best to the point of untruthfulness, that, yep. that, that's not helpful. We've that's seen garbage. that, that, that is a, that, that, that is, that does not end well, uh, at all. Uh, so it has to be, it has to be honest, but you're right. What your audience can sustain is important. You don't process your, uh, challenges with your spouse, with your children, right? Nope. Like that's just, but that is, yes. that's not, oh, well, I'm just trying to be you authentic to my children. Nope. No, you're being a moron to your children yes. is what you're doing. Yep. So, so I think that's where, uh, leaders have to be really, really careful about how they're processing what they're going through. And, and I like what you said, don't go public when you're in process. Uh, right. that, that is a really, that's kind of a helpful turn of phrase for me. On some level, we're all always sure. in process all yep. the time. But uh, to go back to my cooking analogy from earlier, I don't need to go present to the world my like half cooked, yes. you know, sort of raw, definitely going to poison you ideas, right? Yes. I, I need to 
take the time with wise and trusted friends and counselors and mentors and pastors and others and maybe, you know, read or educate myself so that when I speak publicly, I can do so in a way that's helpful. Now, that might be challenging. It might still be off-putting. Yes. And and on some level, you can't control... uh, I mean, good grief. You can't control what people hear all the time, unfortunately. You can control what you say. You can't control what what you hear. But at least what we can do as leaders is know that we have done the work, know that we have sought to understand our audience, and know that we're really seeking to bring help and blessing by sharing whatever it is we're sharing. That's so good. So, All right, well... That wraps up another episode of the Engaging Culture Podcast talking about faith and doubt. I I love being a part of a church that understands doubt and questions as a part of a life of faith and hope that you do as well. Those of you who are part of the Bridgeway family, we hope that this uh, gave you some freedom just to to think through your faith and to know that it's okay to ask questions and that if you do that in a healthy way, you're going to come out better on the other side. And we hope for those of you that are leaders that you were able to take some, some helpful ideas away from this and how you can process things that you're going through in a way that is a blessing and a benefit to those uh, who would seek your guidance and your leadership. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the early part of 2020 for another year of Engaging Culture. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.